Welcome back to the God Story Podcast, episode 17. There's no more important way that God's story is told than through preaching. But how many of us have thought about the connection between music and preaching? Is there any connection between music and preaching? And if so, how do we get our sermons to sing? Well, one man has some answers, and that's today's guest, Noel Snyder, Program Manager at the Calvin Institute of Christian Worship at Calvin University, Grand Rapids, Michigan, in the States. Noel's new book, Sermons That Sing, Music and the Practice of Preaching, is just out from IVP, InterVarsity Press, in the States. And Noel joins me now. Noel, hello to you. Hello. I'm so glad to be here, and oh, it, uh, thank you so much. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you with us. Now, how important is a sense of story or narrative in preaching? Well, uh, story and narrative uh, is actually, I think it's, it's a key element in the use of time in preaching. And it's, it's one way to think about uh, what preaching is in the, in the worship service, in the moment of the preacher and the congregation uh, meeting together in, uh, in this moment. And so uh, one way that actually one author uh, that I talk about in the book uh, has conceived of the, the use of music in preaching and musicality is to use this word uh, narrative uh, or story. Um, some people uh, quibble about uh, the equivalence of those two words, uh, but I think this idea of a narrative, a story approach to understanding how the sermon unfolds and time is used, I, I think that's a, a critical uh, skill for uh, preachers to learn how to develop. What's the connection then between music and preaching? Yeah, so music and preaching. Well, as I just alluded to, uh, one of the primary connections between these two arts, if we, uh, if you'll allow me to call them both an art, and we can talk about that more if you, uh, if you want me to un unpack that a little bit, uh, but I'll just uh, say that one of the two things uh, that these arts uh, share in common is sound and time. They, they make use of these uh, twin elements of sound and time. And uh, when the Bible says faith comes through hearing, one of the ways to uh, think about what hearing is, uh, what it means to listen, what it means to shape sermons for hearing, is to think about this art that only uses sound and time and to enable uh, an oral, uh, aural experience to happen uh, between uh, preachers and listeners. So that's one of the most obvious connections. One of the other connections that uh, just naturally draws these two together is that for most people who come to worship, and most people who think about going to, to worship at a Christian church, especially Protestants, that uh, the idea of music and preaching, that's, that's kind of the, the bread and butter of the, uh, of the worship service. And so uh, to be able to think about both of these things well, especially how they inform each other and work together uh, to inform each other, uh, I think is, uh, is an important thing for preachers to be aware of. Okay, then, well, how, how can we as preachers, and, and I'm a preacher, and you're a preacher, how can we bring music into our sermons? Well, yeah, that is one of the ways that my book basically tries to, uh, the, one of the questions that it tries to get at. And in some ways, that is a question that I personally 
uh, wanted to answer for myself. I, being both a musician and a preacher, uh, I had a vague sense that I was using musical instincts in preaching, uh, but I had trouble trying to really put my finger on what those were and how I was using those. And so I was grateful to be able to do a little bit more study in both uh, the musicology world and also the homiletical theory world and try to find some connections. And once I started uh, making some connections, they, they just started popping off the page to me and, and it was all over the place. Uh, so uh, there's many different ways that different authors have thought about that. Uh, one of the ways that people think about bringing music into preaching is the literal musicality of speech and speech patterns and how uh, when a preacher is attuned to things like pitch and rhythm and pace, the crucial aspect of how that enables uh, the message to come across uh, within the congregation, within a setting of worship, um, there's some uh, great connections to be seen there literally with the musicality of speech. There's also some connections to be found uh, when you dig a little bit deeper and consider music as a metaphor uh, for what a sermon can be. And that's kind of what the title of the book plays on a little bit. Actually, it can be taken either literally or figuratively, uh, the idea of a sermon that sings. So you can think about the way that uh, a theme develops in a piece of music and there's a sort of a home base and then there's a complication and then there's a return to home. There's a, this a tension and resolution patterns that happen. And you can think about the way that theology also in, and uh, the proclamation of the gospel involves that same sort of understanding and that same sort of instinct of how to increase tension and then uh, resolve it with the proclamation and the announcement of the good news. Are preachers distrustful of bringing imagination and creativity into their preaching, do you think? I think there can be some distrust. And uh, I talk about this a little bit in the book, uh, but when you think about some preachers who are distrustful and why that may be, uh, a lot of times what it has to do is the, the distrust of emotionalism, meaning the, that the emotion itself uh, becomes, uh, sort of overwhelms uh, the rest of the sermon to such an extent that it really doesn't matter whether uh, what a sermon uh, says is true uh, or faithful, uh, just as long as the kind of emotion comes forth uh, and there's uh, sort of a sentimentality. So I think that a lot of times preachers who are distrustful of emotion in preaching, it comes a lot of times from this this tension that they sense between the truth and uh, the emotion uh, with which it is expressed and uh, that carries it. I think that's uh, an unfortunate tension uh, that need not be the case, uh, that you need not have those things so distinct where uh, truth is sacrificed in the name of emotion or emotion is sacrificed in the name of truth. And uh, so I, and I think there are good examples of congregations and of preachers and of preaching traditions uh, where those two things rightly uh, go together but there are oftentimes uh, this distrust and almost a, an anti-rhetoric or an anti-emotion that develops in, in order to guard against uh, abuses. You write in your book quite a bit about the black preaching tradition in the, in the States. Are black preachers inherently musical preachers? 
Well, uh, lots of black preaching traditions are, that is sort of the key characteristic that you can pick up on it just by the sound of it. It's, uh, it's a little bit risky to kind of talk in broad terms, especially since I'm not uh, a member of that uh, racial group and uh, wasn't trained in that tradition. And yet, uh, one of the key things that uh, Black preachers themselves and Black, black homileticians within that tradition talk about is uh, the musicality of preaching and how uh, musicality itself is an element of the meaning of of that preaching tradition. So for instance, the the idea which often happens in Black preaching traditions where there's a climax uh, to the end, uh, where there's a a very celebratory moment, Um, it's high energy, oftentimes high pace, high rhythm, high pitch, and uh, there's oftentimes a, a congregational synchrony that happens, uh, a congregational communal moment of uh, this climax. And that in itself, for many Black preachers, uh, when they reflect on what it, is, what it is that they're doing in that moment, they are trying to pair form and content in the proclamation of the gospel and celebrating the freedom that uh, Christ brings and celebrating uh, the announcement of the good news and the joy that overcomes uh, whatever sorrows and uh, whatever sins uh, are weighing us down in that moment. So uh, when we when we think about the musicality of the Black preaching tradition, yes, indeed, for so many people, that is uh, one of the key characteristics uh, that is identified and picked up on. And it's even outside of the preachers and the, and the homileticians who have talked about this and written about this, uh, people who uh, study ethnography and do uh, sociological analyses, this is one of the things that they pick up on as well in that, in that worship and preaching tradition. How have preachers in the States incorporated spirituals into their sermons? Yeah, so when I think about how that works, there's a couple of ways that I think about that. Uh, one author who talks about this is uh, Tom Troger, who actually has suggested a method for, and he gives examples in his book called Wonder Reborn, of, of using spirituals themselves almost as musical midrash uh, of, of a sermon text. Uh, so you have the biblical text that the sermon is an exposition of uh, a development of uh, a proclamation of the good news uh, within that text. And then you can also pair that with uh, an actual uh, spiritual that has uh, the same sort of theme and helps to provide an interpretive key for uh, a biblical text and incorporate that in. He has an example where uh, he uses that as an interpretive key uh, for the question from the prophets, is there a bomb in Gilead? And he draws upon the spiritual, there is a bomb in Gilead and, and pairs it together in such a way that the congregation ends up singing it in the end. Uh, Another person who uh, writes about the use of spirituals in the preaching moment is Luke Powery, who has this book called Dem Dry Bones and um, uh, preaching. It's about uh, the spirituality of the spirituals. And so uh, using the spirituals as a model 
for how preachers can avoid what he calls the candy theology of uh, sort of prosperity gospel, of of glossing over the problems that uh, people are facing. And yet the spirituals also then give a model of not only digging into the depths of the sorrow and the lament that is there in the community, but also uh, bringing up joy in the moment and how those two things can pair together. And a final thing I will just say about that is one of the really fascinating things uh, that I learned even in in researching this book and that uh, Powery uh, draws out uh, is this research that suggests that, in fact, the uh, African-American spirituals, many of these these songs would have been composed uh, within a service of worship um, as a sort of improvisatory moment uh, between preacher and congregation and as as rhythms and cadences and uh, repeated phrases uh, across the across the border as it were uh, for over from speech into singing and uh, that's just such a fascinating connection uh, for uh, that musical tradition itself and how uh, there is quite literally uh, most likely that that literal historical connection between that musical tradition and the the preaching moment mm, so the slave preachers themselves were the creators of the spirituals perhaps yes uh, that's how uh, john michael spencer in his book sacred symphony that's how he hypothesizes it that uh through this interaction. And, and the great part, when we think about the, the slave preachers themselves being part of the creators of the spirituals, is there can be a tendency, especially in my own cultural context, uh, to think about the preacher as a very solitary figure. Uh, but we need to remember that preachers in, in that worship context and in that setting are drawing energy from uh, the communal response and the song and this oral aural uh, repetition that they're creating to enable the participation of the crea- of the congregation but as well the the response of uh, the you know the oral responsiveness of the congregation and so it, it becomes a, a moment where although you could look to the preacher as the creator of the spiritual in a very real sense the the congregation the worshiping community is co-creators uh, in the preaching moment Yes, that's another question I wanted to ask you. How important is it for preachers to be aware of their audience and what they're feeling and what they might be thinking and who they are? Yeah, so important. I think that's one of the great things music can do for us. It can kind of give us uh, a, an analogy or a metaphor that's just similar enough, but also just different enough for preachers to be able to think through what it means to be connected to the people who are listening. And so, um, you know, the the best musicians are those who are able to be so present in the moment that they can be present to the the music itself, but also present to those around them and how that music is working in that moment uh, to connect the listener and a performer, as it were. And I, I think it can work the same way uh, with preachers and it needs to work. I think that's one of the things that developing musical instincts can help preachers with is to give them a way to think about what it means to, again, through the use of thinking through things like timing and uh, repetition 
and uh, synchrony and, and what it means to kind of sync up with a message and a pace at which the sermon is unfolding, that those uh, those things can, can help when preachers learn to think in terms of uh, musical instincts. That's one way that preachers can learn to, to strengthen those connections between being present in the moment uh, with the message that they have, but also with uh, how people are responding and um, what might need to happen, even in, a, in an improvisatory way, uh, to stay present uh, to those who are, who are with you. So there might be a connection between preaching and jazz improvising, mm-hmm. for example. <laughs> uh, yeah. Right. And uh, the key there is to is to remember that jazz itself and in improvisation itself uh, depends on practice, lots of practice, scales and lots of experience. And even within a jazz improvisation, you sort of uh, have this great combination between your your set pieces, the the structure of the piece where you already have in mind where it's going to go, uh, but then those moments uh, that are free improvisations. But all of that sort of depends on the ability of, in in the case of the jazz musician, uh, to be so steeped in that musical idiom uh, that they can know how to uh, make use of those instincts that are kind of built into their fingers or their their breath, uh, as it were, uh, whatever instrument they're playing. In the same way, uh, preachers can think about developing those instincts that almost become sort of second nature for being able to to find the good news in a text, to be able to name God's action and God's uh, covenant faithfulness in the moment of preaching, and to be able to think about improvisation in terms of uh, those deep instincts that are being uh, developed over time through experience and uh, through uh, continued interaction with God's word and listening to God's word uh, in context, how uh, your congregation, how uh, the worshipers there are hearing it and interacting with God's word at the same time. How important is it for preachers to use their voices in a musical way? Well, that's been one of the things that I've even myself had to learn a little bit more about. I recall having it pointed out to me that uh, oftentimes as a beginning preacher, my my tone was just not, I I didn't have a whole lot of variety. So that's one way to think about uh, the musicality of preaching just by itself. Uh, One author that I've uh, referenced has suggested that uh, the uh, lesser skilled public speakers or the lesser skilled users of their voice in preaching uh, will have about a half an octave range in tone and that the uh, more skilled uh, preachers and public speakers will actually have up to an octave and a half of of a range in tone. And so thinking through how uh, tone itself and the proper use of it can uh, can be one thing that really helps the listenability of the sermon. Uh, that's one thing. Uh, rhythm and pace are huge, and uh, knowing how to stay uh, keep account of where you are in in the sermon and how it's unfolding, and what that means for what pace to use at different points. Uh, those are also important things to to be able to think through in a musical way. 
music is not the only way to think about using your voice. Uh, there's lots of things that theater people have to teach us uh, about proper use of your voice. And there's there's actually probably things that if you only study music that you're going to miss out on that theater could actually teach you and uh, other people who, who train in public speaking. Uh, but I do think that music does give that uh, a great metaphorical, a great way to develop an ear for what is it, uh, to put it a different way, if you hear a really great preacher, it is very uh, unlikely, in my opinion, that that person will have a poor sense of musicality, that even if they're not conscious of it, that uh, still at the same time, you you probably be able to find those ways that their voice and their tone and their rhythm and their pace and even their entire embodiment are working together uh, in in the moment of preaching uh, with their message. And uh, so I would, I would even suggest uh, that preachers learning how to use their voice in a musical way, that that is something that probably most of the best preachers have, have a certain innate gifting for, or at least a, 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 an instinct that they have developed for. I'm wondering how we can better teach our preachers in our preaching courses. Yeah. Now, that is uh, a question that I think keeps a lot of uh, preaching professors up at night because the, the amount of preaching training uh, that a lot of preachers get is pretty minimal in seminary. And, um, you know, uh, it might be a typical curriculum in um, most North American seminaries that I'm aware of involves sort of one intro to preaching course where there might be a sermon or two that they practice in labs and then maybe an elective or two that follows. Some seminaries have more than that, but uh, they're oftentimes, uh, if we're just relying on preaching classes themselves, uh, then we're gonna we're gonna really struggle uh, through that mode of instruction to really um, provide what preachers need to 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 continue to develop. I think uh, one one way that uh, when we talk about the the black preaching tradition, uh, one way that that has happened is oftentimes the seminary, if it happened for those preachers, it would come after they've already started to be apprenticed, and so the idea of apprenticeship. Now, music gives a great uh, metaphor for that as well. It is very, very rare for a person to get good at a musical instrument instrument that hasn't spent time, usually weekly, being apprenticed uh, in real life, in a real embodied context uh, by someone who's an expert at that instrument. And so uh, that's the, the idea of how music are trained, uh, counter to how a lot of preachers are trained, uh, provides a stark contrast. Now, um, one thing that uh, I'm at the Calvin Institute of Christian Worship here, and we've been tracking with uh, a grant that the Lilly Foundation is doing in uh, the United States with, uh, through some seminaries here in North America, and uh, they're experimenting with creating uh, venues for uh, preachers who are uh, already in the in the business, as it were, in the ministry for five, ten years, uh, to be able to come together in in small groups, in in peer learning groups, and to uh, talk about their preaching that happens in real congregations, in real time, in their ministry, and to give them space to 
to reflect on that with other people who can listen to it from their own experience, other pastors who sort of have a sense of what it means to be a pastor in the, with all the demands of, of ministry and all that means for uh, how your day and your week gets structured and how preaching fits into that. And uh, we have found that there is a huge value in uh, having venues for preachers who are in the midst of ministry uh, to be able to step back and reflect uh, with their peers and to learn together with peers. And uh, that's a that's a hopeful sign. It also, uh, the, the amount that we've been able to, to witness uh, is just a, you know, a, a small, very small proportion of the, of the total amount of, of people who are engaged in ministry and regular preaching. And so um, I'm so aware, and I think a lot of people in the, who are especially preaching professors are so aware of the need uh, for ongoing uh, discernment and, and maybe creativity and entrepreneurship as far as how we, we keep those things going. And I'm very encouraged, though, by the, the peer learning, learning model. I, I'm, I talked about the grant funding, uh, but I am, I'm very aware that there are informal groups of pastors that in different cities and locales uh, that will kind of do that on their own. Without that structure, they'll, they'll just create their own groups. And, and I think there's a lot to that model. Why is it important for preachers? To, I have a problem with this. Why is it important for preachers to know where this sermon is going? <laughs> yeah. Nah. Well, it's important because if you don't know where your sermon is going, then you don't you don't know where you are. Uh, if you don't know where yes, know. you are going, <laughs> how do you know how to say what you're saying even in the moment? And uh, there can be a sense in which, uh, if you uh, especially if you if you sense there's an energy problem with the sermon, that there's a disconnect between. The, the message that the preacher thinks that they're trying to get across and uh, the energy or the flow, uh, then oftentimes uh, I would think that I would ask the question of, does this person really have a sense of where they are <laughs> and where this is going? Uh, because uh, that's going to a lot of times really affect almost everything, but especially how, uh, how you are inhabiting the energy of, of that moment. No, now, but, I, I want, I'm, I'm, when you ask me that question, though, I'm, I'm curious to see if, uh, why that's such an important question to you. Oh, gosh. Well, it's something I've thought about over the years as a preacher, uh, having preached hundreds of sermons to keep a constant. I, I, I've always been fascinated to think about sermons in terms of musical tension and resolution, which is one of the themes of your book. So I'm always yeah. trying to create, a, when I'm doing my sermon prep and my sermon structure, working out my sermon structure, because I use a basic structure, as no doubt you probably do too, or many mm -hmm. preachers do, I'm trying to get some way to have movement in the, in the sermon so that the sermon is moving, that there's pace, that there's energy, there's attack, that I, I'm trying to get it to move somewhere. And I've got to know where the high point is, where that musical climax is, as it were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that's you have said it very well, um, especially when you think through the musical metaphor. Preacher, uh, sorry, uh, musicians do this uh, sort of naturally. One of the great things that I discovered in my research is uh, a guy named David Huron, who uh, has this book called Sweet Anticipation. I, I draw the, upon this a lot in the book uh, because he has really done a lot of scientific studies about what produces um, listening pleasure in music. 
And a lot of times what it has to do uh, with, with is this really great combination that, that great music that makes you want to listen to it. The, this great combination that that music has between uh, predictability and surprise. So there's this great, and that's where a lot of that tension comes in. That tension and resol- resolution is created through uh, predictability of, of uh, musicians working within, you know, expected schemes of, of chord patterns and that kind of thing. But then there's a surprise element. There's something that's different in there, there it, whether it's at the level of rhythm or harmony or melody uh, or the way it's performed. And one of the things I love so much about this is that, um, that when they actually studied the way that musical performers uh, do their art uh, in performance, if a, if a performer is coming up on an area where in the, on the level of music, on the level of melody, rhythm, and harmony, where all three of those are very predictable, then that, that performer will naturally slow down is often one of the things that happens or in some way accentuate the performance elements of that uh, to create a little bit more of that tension in the way that it's performed because that person sort of instinctually knows that this is a very um, a very predictable element in the music. And so there still needs to be preserved that element of, of surprise or unpredictability uh, that enables the, the tension and the, uh, the pleasure in listening to be maintained. And so when you think about that in terms of knowing where you are and knowing where you're going in a sermon, there, that's exactly a, a, a great way to think about that, especially if you're coming up on a moment uh, where oftentimes, you know, the, the common uh, wisdom that I've heard about preachers is that uh, most preachers have like one, two, three main sermons that they preach just over and over again. You know, in every text, they kind of find one particular theme that they that's their kind of their main theme that they love to to say over and over again. Uh, you know, if you've been at at this for 15 years with a same with the same congregation and they probably know where this is going then because this is one of the typical ways that you have you have taught them and there's so much that's good about that um, but to think through in terms of how uh, of how musicians do it and what elements of, of preserving that tension can come if you find yourself as a preacher coming up on uh, one of those moments and how you can use words how you can use uh, inflection and pace uh, to create that sense of uh, preserving the tension um, and uh, as you reach that resolution point. I th- we're just about out of time, but uh, we must we must talk again, Noel, because this has been fascinating. I've so many questions <laughs> I'd, I'd love to ask you. But one of the things I've found fascinating over the years, I, I, I love the Western classical music traditions, my background, but I'm fascinated by uh, some of the older performances that we have of older conductors of orchestras going back, I don't know, 60, 70, 50 years, whatever, there seemed to be a much greater sense of improvisation in their music making. Mm. And they will do exactly what you have said. They will come to a great theme. They will bring the timpani in. They will slow the tempo down far more than any modern conductor would ever dare to get away with. And they will linger (laughs) and they will hold Mm. you in suspense while this great theme in the music is playing and i've i've always tried to incorporate that into my into my preaching because i think there's something that we can learn from that that moment of drama you know that just where they 
that the, the musician will hold you with that with that piece of music and you'll just be waiting for it to come. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And, and I think one of the things that that comes from is, uh, on the one hand, a preacher's level of experience and their level of comfort in uh, in the preaching moment. And that some for some people that takes a, a while to, to develop, to be able to uh, to hold that moment uh, in tension and not want to uh, kind of uh, just breeze through it you as, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, as a lot of beginning preachers might be apt to do. But it also comes from, you know, you think about the, the, the symphony conductor that wants to slow the music down and, and create this great grand uh, moment. I think of some of my own music teachers and one of the one of the most inspiring things, even for me, just thinking about it now in this moment, is how much I could see that they, and after all their years of experience, still loved to listen to the music and just the sound of the music that they were making. And think about that as, as far as preachers. How much do we just still love to hear the gospel proclaimed? How much do we just relish in that? And, um, and how much we can do uh, with that, uh, if if we're a lot, if we're willing uh, to step into that moment and create those moments where uh, that drama can can happen uh, in the proclamation of the gospel, and that comes from our own delight in uh, proclaiming this good news. It means taking risks, of course, and that's often hard to do if you're a young preacher. I think it takes years to probably get experience doing all of that. Anyhow, Noel mm-hmm. Snyder, thank you so much. Program Manager at the Calvin Institute of Christian Worship at Calvin University in Michigan in the States, and his new book, Sermons That Sing, Music and the Practice of Preaching, is just out from InterVarsity Press, IVP in the States. Noel, thank you so much for your time. It's been so great to talk to you, with thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you so much. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to give us a rating and leave a review. This will help more people discover God's story for themselves. If you'd like to get in touch or learn more, please visit godstorypodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. That's godstorypodcast.com. Godstory Podcast.